Ender's uh, Corner on Twitter and Lauren at Mastodon. And we're available on Twitter collectively as a Black Girl Squeak uh, on Tumblr uh, at Black Girl Squeak. The show is also available on Apple Podcasts and Google Play Podcasts. Um, we have a Patreon. Uh, the show and get bonus content at patreon.com slash blackgirlsqueen and an email address uh, blackgirlsqueen at gmail.com if you want to um, leave comments about the show uh, and uh, suggest people for DWIDP boxes um, <laughs> First item in Squeer Worthy News, uh, Radio Times just ran a story about one of our favorites over here. Her name is Susan Wacoma, and she, I love that they led with this really, really great quote. She says, 
I'm writing for one of color. Everyone else is taken care of. Thank you, Susan. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, Susan Wakoma, she made a short film for Sky TV called Love the Sinner, a story about a young girl who attempts to skip Sunday school after Princess Diana's death. Okay. Um, if her name is familiar to you, you may know her from shows like Chewing Gum. Uh, kind of hate the name of the other show, but it's got a sea um, head, I'll just say. And, you know, other shows. Um, one of them was, I forget what the other one was called, but I watched that on um, Netflix, but she wasn't in it enough for me. But I liked her wardrobe in it. But anyway, she's been out here, you know, doing some big things. She was named Breakthrough Brit at the BAFTAs last year. All right. She's now doing more work as a screenwriter and was recommended by the Radio Times Women Words campaign to celebrate women screenwriters by her friend Daisy Mae Cooper. And she's been working on a TV pilot tentatively titled Fix You, <laughs> which may be loosely autobiographical. And uh, she said she's also joined the Comedy Writers Room for a show for a popular streaming service, but it wasn't named yet. And I really want to know what this is because I want to know everything Susan Wakoma is involved in. But uh, anyway, in the article, she says, My real object as a writer is to write women and particularly women of color in these roles. That's it. I feel like everybody else is taken care of. I'm writing for that little girl who used to devour all those, these TV shows and films and books and stories and never saw herself but never questioned it. I can relate. And she also says, I can't help but be angry, and it's always black women giving teachable moments. I just want black women to have peace and get on with their art, and it really annoys me. It always seems like it's down to women, particularly not white women, to go, I'm going to stand up and say this. Susan, I love you. I love you. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, don't, you don't need anything else. I mean, she's also gorgeous, but um, on top of that, just nope. really just smart um, and not afraid to say things, so. Thank you, Susan. Uh, and um, we give you a big scream. So, um, the New York Times is, I guess, trying to make up for all those trash opinion pieces they wrote about Trump supporters um, in their Style magazine. They've uh, recently profiled uh, black women, including Solange and also renowned photographer Carrie Mae Weems. Mm-hmm. And this is a great profile. It's um, long, so I won't be able to cover everything that's in it, um, but just a few points. Um, she, uh, Carrie Mae Weems, is a world class photographer works with mm-hmm. text and images. She's currently working on a number of projects, a retrospective at Boston College's McMullen Muse- Museum of Art, and an, an installation for Cornell University, and a group show she's curating called Darker Matter, which oh, will wow. include a new series of her own at the Park Avenue Armory in 2020. Um, 
she won a MacArthur Genius Grant in 2013 when she was that was five years ago so she would have been 60 oh wow <laughs> and she became the first black American woman to host a retrospective at the Guggenheim she's um, she's being more um, uh, referenced more in pop culture she's mm-hmm. uh, appeared yep. in net, the Netflix series, uh, She's Got to Have It. Um, she's been name-checked on uh, rap songs, specifically mm-hmm. my fave, Black Thought, <laughs> song 215, <laughs> where he says, I'm just taking a picture like Carrie Mae Weem, so smile and say cheese, we're in 2018. Uh, <laughs> you came with that whole <laughs> Yes! So, uh, he, and he does that after referencing um, uh, another visual artist, painter, Carrie James Marshall, um, who, and they used to be, I think they used to be romantically involved, which is, you know, wow. before they um, married their significant others. Um, it's Aww. interesting that um, Carrie James Marshall comes up in, later in the article um, when they're talking about... Uh, the relative value of the uh, monetary value of, mm-hmm. of women's work in comparison mm-hmm. to men's work in photography mm-hmm. and the visual arts. Um, when they were both involved, Marshall's work and Weems' work were both involved in an auction. Mm-hmm. And Weems' work went for $67,000 and Marshall's work went for $21 million. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. So she's still working. I mean, talk about a pay gap. Just, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, Weems first picked up the camera at 20 years old. It was a gift from her boyfriend at the time, who was a Marxist and labor organizer. Um, about that, that first camera, she says, I think that the first time I picked up a cam- that camera, I thought, oh, okay, this is my tool. This is it. Hmm. Oh. So, uh, Weems is very well known for her um, series, the Kitchen Table series, which yes. is inspired one of the first times that an African-American woman could be seen reflecting her own experience and interiority in her art. So, uh, her art also challenges notions of who should be included in the arts world and how they should be represented. Um, and there's there's much, much more than <laughs> there's a funny anecdote about how she met her husband uh, in the profile there more um, discussion about her work um, some, some of her um, most famous projects um, she says uh, now that now at 65 she still has so much work she wants to do and she feels like she's racing against the clock <laughs> so, um, so it, it's wild that she's you know so she's so vibrant and so 
for a little bit. Yeah. Um, so full of ideas. Um, so, and it also talks about one of the subjects of um, her kitchen table sketches and meeting her later and giving her a camera so she can tell her own stories. And it's just, uh, it's, a, it's a really good profile. So. <laughs> and I probably yeah. as well because they yes mm-hmm. yep they need to tighten up that um, press room that newsroom because yeah but um I will uh, give them props for this profile and alright and Squee from Miss Carrie Maylene's Squee That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so, that we got um, some more, you know, good news. At least I think it's good news. Uh, it's been reported that Rana Burke plans to work with writing rooms on how they portray sexual abuse on screen. Thank you. Thank you. Um, both Shadow and Act and Jezebel uh, had uh, stories about this and. But um, yeah, Jezebel actually had a profile um, on Tarana Burke and her thoughts on Me Too, you know, 12 years and one year later. You know, keep your head down and keep moving forward. Because a lot of the outlets are still trying to say Me Too is one year old. Like, no, that was when y'all first heard about it. Yeah. That's when they <laughs> made it a hashtag. Yeah. But 12 years yeah. ago, it was a movement started yeah. by Tarana Burke. Yes. And if you didn't know, Tarana Burke is a civil rights activist and educator, and she started the Me Too movement and a nonprofit called Just Be Incorporated to respond to a failure to speak candidly when a 13-year-old girl came to her with an account of sexual abuse. Wow. And so um, she says she had a deep sadness and yearning for confession that I read immediately and wanted no part of. Finally, later in the day, she caught up with me and almost begged me to listen, and I reluctantly conceded. Wow. She said that she saw her work with me, too, as coming from a failure to listen and a failure to speak. Yeah, I understand that, too. And she says she prioritizes organizing over media coverage. She says, I think that certainly from last year to this year, the level of awareness has grown exponentially. So I think it's two things. On the one hand, there's been a great shift in the way we talk about sexual violence and the fact that we talk about it at all. The conversation about sexual violence in general is expanding. We have never really had a national conversation about this. I think that's probably the biggest change. But on the flip side, there hasn't been enough of the right kind of conversation, if you will. There hasn't been enough conversation about the needs of survivors of what people actually need, solutions. It's been mostly about perpetrators. That has been really difficult, I think. And um, she also says, we cannot as a movement depend on the media to catch up with us before we decide that we're legitimate. Yep. Okay. So, yeah, uh, Tarana Burke, I just love that she never disappoints, but then again, I mean, she's been doing this important work for, like, 
almost well like so like 12 years and probably you know before that before she took this specific focus and has been doing that and you know when she said you know we saw the quote um, tweet she thought it was she was about to you know be living a nightmare because she said she just woke up one day and the hashtag was viral because of Alyssa Milano but then she said Melissa Milano privately um, contacted her you know apologized and then said how could she help you know, but um, I'm glad that you know people are really every time now because the way my timeline is set up, every time now Me Too comes up, everyone will always say, "Okay, Tarana Burke, Tarana Burke, Tarana Burke," and just will not let her go um, unrecognized. And this is the work that she's done. Yeah, so. Yep. Yep. So, uh, oh, I go just ahead. wanted to say um, that uh, she <laughs> she read about that Lee Daniels show that's supposed to be a Me Too workplace. Oh, said the hair stood up on my arm to put Me Too in comedy in the same sentence is so deeply offensive, and not because I'm uptight and I don't see comedy in things. We're not ready for a comedy. It's just so offensive that you think in this moment, when we're still unpacking the issue, that you can write a comedy about it. And that's the type of thing I'm talking about. We have to get out in front of that. And also, Lee Daniels, this is not a subject Lee Daniels, I, I think he, he does have, um, I think he does have history of sexual assault on him uh, as, a, as a victim in his past. But thing is, I think he's trying to tell this story about a woman or women, and that is not his wheelhouse. He has absolutely no business trying to tell stories about women. Well, he's supposed Sorry, to be he just did with, uh, What's her name? Whitney Cummings or something like that? I don't know. I don't know. That's about all you can say. I could say more, but yeah. Trying to get this in the black girl shade. Uh, Yeah. And so for Tarana Burke, for this profile, for uh, this new project she's taking on that I hope goes very well, we give a big squeeze. Oh, okay. So um, (laughs) real quick, uh, I know y'all are uh, sick of me talking about the Washington Mystics. Um, (laughs) I don't care. Uh, Mystics point guard Christy Tolliver joins Washington Wizards coaching staff for the 
2019 season. Yay! Yay! Go Mystics! Uh, Tyler <laughs> will work as an assistant coach and also on player development for the Wizards this year. Um, the season has just started. Uh, she's the first active WNBA player to join a coaching staff. Um, before her, Becky Hammond joined the Spurs coaching staff and Nancy Lieberman joined the Sacramento Kings coaching staff. They were not active WNBA players when they joined. Um, they'd already retired uh, from the league. But uh, Tolliver's the first active player. She worked with the Wizards in Summer League and now helps the starters uh, with their ball handling and doing five-on-five uh, -five drills. So, to, um, as of course, uh, Tolliver has played professionally for 10 years is a two-time All-Star and won a WNBA championship with the LA Sparks in 2016. And she's trying to do the same for Washington. Uh, we're, we're almost there. Got to the finals. Yep. Now we just have yep. to win. Yep. A game. <laughs> she went to the University of Maryland where she won a NCAA championship in 2006. So she's from the area. And uh, <laughs> makes sense for her to uh, be part of the Wizards coaching staff. So to Christy Tolliver, I give the biggest of... have to say, I don't care if I'm like not really familiar with what it is you do. If I see a black woman again, you know, get into these executive, you know, power positions and, you know, just moving and doing her thing and something she loves and, and you know, getting a coin for it. I'm a cheer for her. That's the thing. Getting, yeah, getting some coins. Um, yeah. I'm a cheer for her. Very much. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you may have heard this next piece of, of news and no, it is not a drill. Uh, Solange is supposed to be releasing a new album this fall considering we're about a month into fall we better have less than two months to wait for this and uh, like Didi was saying earlier, uh, NYT Style Magazine has been doing really good profiles and interviews with a lot of black women lately and they just had uh, one with Solange and she says that it's a follow up to a seat at the table and uh, if you want to uh, find that profile it's called Polymathic Cultural Force, I believe. And um, she says there's a lot of jazz at the core. Oh, cool. She tells um, the, the magazine. Um, but the electronic and hip-hop drum and bass because I wanted to bang and make it drunk rattle. <laughs> okay, I hear you, Solange. I'm, I'm with it. I'm with it. We'll, we'll wait for this and see what it does. And um, in case you needed a reminder, Pitchfork named to seat at the table the best album of 2016. And you know what? I'm I'm actually gonna you know get this listen this when it drops this time. I'm not gonna wait two years. <laughs> and so, I'll believe uh, it when I when I see it. Okay. <laughs> leave me alone. <laughs> what? I left I left you alone. I let you live. I let you live. Okay. You took your time. I let you live. I did not say. I was not there. Like, oh, you should listen to it. I, I'll let you live. <laughs> okay. Now I'm going to get these jokes in. 
but uh, <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> okay so so for Solange for a seat at the table and for this new project that you know it's probably just going to end up dropping on a Friday morning when everybody think they sleep yep <laughs> we give a big She didn't even like try to pretend like, oh, it's gonna be a surprise. Like, yeah, I'm just dropping it, and we just like, <laughs> and we just all got to see her. Like, uh, but when? Yeah, when I do. <laughs> so more music news: uh, Janet Jackson and Chaka Khan earn Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominations. I think this is at least their second time being nominated. But yeah, they were both nominated last year too. Yeah, but they weren't inducted, which no. is a crime. Um, yeah. think so. Oh, yeah. I'm going to try to be brief here, but every time I see something about the women from Random Acts of Flightness, I have to acknowledge it and have to remind y'all how much influence these women have on this show. And there were a couple of uh, stories of two of the women um, involved uh, this past week. 
One of them is Naima Ramos Chapman. She is one of the writer and directors from the show. She wrote stuff like Nunca Land and you know some other stuff too. And um, there was a there's a the feature of her in the cut. You know she's just giving them a Q and A session. If you you know want to know some random things about her, you know just a few things like she empathizes with Cersei Lannister, but I think a lot of people do. But uh. Anyway, she's known as an Afro-surrealist who will tackle any topic. And uh, it says that she and Terrence Nance are now partners. I'm thinking they're meaning they're now life and or romantic partners. Because I did see the feature of them in St. Heron. They're together. And I actually didn't finish reading it because it's laid out in a funny way. And their header is like chasing the text. And I couldn't see it very well. So I didn't finish reading it. But there, there is a strong implication. Yeah, these they're coupling now, so um, um, which actually makes something make sense to me. But I, I won't go into that. Anyway, uh, she has a couple of short films dealing with sexual assault, and I think that she did. She does have like a feature length of more like some other project to work because I do remember reading something about it a few weeks ago, but I forget uh, what it was, and I have to um, find that again. So, but. Uh, yeah, I, was, I would suggest that St. Heron article with the two of them and also just this um, uh, fun, you know, Q&A for the cut because, I mean, it's nice to get to know people on that level too. It doesn't have to be, like, all deep all the time. It's, you know, like, you know, what's your favorite sandwich and all of that. <laughs> That's actually nice to know too sometimes. Uh, another name uh, associated with the show that um, uh, I don't think I've... Uh, I remember her name before this but her name is Teresa Cromati and her art has been featured on the show she is a Baltimore raised Brooklyn based visual artist and if you want to know more about her there's an interview with her in The Fader you know, she talks about her Baltimore upbringing, her artwork and other artists that influence her work and other such topics so I'm just going to stop there so I don't keep going and going and going <laughs> into these interviews because like I said there's a lot of information there but I definitely wanted to bring some attention and some shine to these women who are working on this remarkable show so to Naima Ramos Chapman and Teresa Cromati we give a big Okay, so also try to make this brief as possible. But I don't know. I just I don't know. I don't I don't like to feel like I'm. I don't like to feel too like I don't know. It just feels self-serving. But um, anyway, um, there's been some happenings in the music world uh, past couple weeks. If you can bear to you know can bear to pay attention to Complex. Toronto's Witch Prophet celebrates love with Indigo. She has finally released a video for her song Indigo and she says it celebrates the love and magic created between two queer women. Yes! Anyway, uh, Witch Prophet says that she wrote this song in Jamaica last year and I kind of do live for these types of representation for black uh, queer women because I just don't really see enough of it, especially like in a healthy loving situation and yeah 
that album is good. She, that she, I think it was this year she released the album, and it's really good and some really good songs. And yeah, Indigo is actually one of the one of the prettiest songs you know on that album. So definitely. And also with uh, some more dope black women, Kalela describes herself um, as asserting herself as a black woman in the music industry. So this is a interview I believe she did with Vulture. She says she has to navigate opportunities differently as a black woman. Lord, yes. She says, there's so many ways I have to assert myself. You can't do this because that's just not not how it's done. Well, how come the white girl did it? I saw her, 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 and her do it. Why can't I do that too? No one ever has an answer for that. Anyway, she says she stays grounded because the people that she works with are here for her, not just her music. And that is so important. Anyway, uh, she also says it's actually part of a black woman's experience, feeling like your your output is so valued. People love the vocal runs, but they can't love the experience that that comes from. That's a word. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely. I love Kalayla. Yeah. I just love Kalayla. And, go ahead. I thought you were going to say something. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, just briefly mention a couple of other things. Tamar Kali received the Discovery of the Year Award at the World Soundtrack Awards, and she's going to be performing at the ceremony next year. So congratulations to her. That was for her work on Mudbound. And if you have not seen that, um, you should. I mean, Dee Reese directed it. It said a black woman did the score. I mean... Even if I didn't like the film, which I actually kind of did, I would have supported it, you know, just for that anyway. So, um, that and Nana Cherry's new album, Broken Politics, is now available. Listened to it last night. Nana just does not disappoint. I don't think she knows how to disappoint. <laughs> Listen, I loved Blank Project, and this is now four years later. I'm still listening to Blank Project, and now I'm going to be listening to Bro- Broken Politics for uh, some time now. And Esperanza Spalding's new Project 12 Little Spells is also complete, and you can find that as well. So, those are a few of the music happenings. And Oh, okay. <laughs> I can't stand you sometimes. But yes, a lot of this I, I have or, or I will be playing on the Black Swan Collective. Because that's just what I do. Yes. Um, and it's about Black Film Genius all day, every day. And you will hear a lot of it on the Black Swan Collective, which is at mixcloud.com slash indalauren. I-N-D-A-L-A-U-R-Y-N. So, ah, goodness. <laughs> can't believe how hard it is get you to plug your own shit <laughs> on your own show anyway um, <laughs> so thank you um, okay. for that uh, lovely visit to in this corner and uh, now it's time to catch the fade this one's gonna this one's gonna be long all right, so. let's just sit back and relax. What? <laughs> Wait, you need 
need to get no. involved. I need you to get involved. I will. I will. We're getting comfortable. Oh, okay. I'm just saying. Um, this is this is ooh, um, like like the whole country from the Supreme Court on down is really in the business of disenfranchisement right now. That and it's wild because so much of social media is really hyper invested in voting while um, the government is hyper invested in taking the vote from people and then there's a whole other uh, group of people that have been disenfranchised because of um, going to prison Yes. Yeah, there's a huge conflict of interest, a glaring conflict of interest right there. Senators leave their positions to run for president. I don't see why. Yeah, this is wild. Anyway, um, so Secretary of State and Governor Toro 
candidate, Brian Kemp, has purged 107,000 voters from voting rolls. <clears throat> Just if they haven't voted in previous elections. You also won't be able to vote in Georgia if you have an out-of-state driver's license or an expired license. And only college students from a list of approved colleges can vote using a student ID. Approved colleges. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and there was a glitch, I think, um, on the Georgia DMV website um, for like a day before um, voter registration ended in Georgia, I think, and nothing's been done to make up for that. Um, uh, there, um, ab- there have been absentee ballots tossed out because the signature doesn't match because that's another law in Georgia signature is not deemed to match um, the ID, um, then ballots can be tossed out. At least 600 ballots have been tossed out. Um, There's early voting that started this Monday, um, and people are so anxious and worried about um, getting their vote in that um, there are two to three hours. for early voting. Um, I think uh, this made news, at least uh, around Black Twitter, that a group of seniors boarded a bus decorated with the slogan, Black Voters Matter Fund, and that is a nonpartisan organization, but were then told they could not take the bus to go vote because of the appearance of partisanship. So, I guess just saying you're black and um, and voting in an election with a black candidate means you're partisan. I doubt every single person on that bus is voting for Stacey Abrams. Because you know we just gotta be different. You know black folks gotta be different. We're not a monolith. Exactly. Um, Appearance of partisanship. Yes. Appearance. Mm-hmm. Okay. That can't be proven. How can you prove there's an appearance of partisanship from a non-partisan organization? Okay. This has primarily affected uh, black voters and other uh, voters of color. most effective path to the governor's house for Abrams is to win a majority of black voters and people of color, other people of color. Um, Most of the rejected ballots come from Gwinnett County, which is the second most populous county in Georgia and boasts a diverse population where over half of the people in Gwinnett County are either black Asian-American or Latinx people. So this is all happening less than a month away from the election, and many folks may not know they've been dropped from the voter rolls, so if you're eligible to vote, please check your voter registration um, eligibility.
that's just Georgia. And um, yeah, you can you can tell that white folks are nervous when they're making mm-hmm. when they're making all these rules all of a sudden uh, a month out from the election to benefit them. So Stacey Abrams must really have these white folks afraid. Supreme Court recently refused to overturn a law in North Dakota that requires ID with a current street address in order to register to vote. So what does that mean? That many Native Americans who live on reservations um, don't have street addresses and use P.O. boxes instead, and those are listed on their IDs. street addresses. Um, also, many Native Americans are overrepresented in the homeless population, according to studies, so those people don't have street addresses either. Um, the decision was made less than a month before the election. Sounds familiar? And it affects tribal elections as well, which follow federal and state guidelines. So, the state government says that residents without a street address should contact their county's 911 coordinator and sign up for a free street address and get a letter that confirms that address. Because, um, there's a, you can, if you don't have a street address, you can use a utility bill, but many Native Americans don't receive those either. instructions on Facebook. So if you're on Facebook, you can um, search for Native Vote ND and find out how to get a free street address uh, through the government. Um, but yeah, this is this is affecting at least 18,000 Native American people in North Dakota to vote Democrat, so um, our now majority conservative Supreme Court is, you know, trying to um, just create mass disenfranchisement. And aren't even trying to hide who they're targeting. say they're trying to prevent voter fraud, but um, experts um, in North Dakota politics will tell you that uh, voter fraud in North Dakota is virtually non-existent. That's the only time they have ever seen voter fraud. It's always been somebody trying to vote twice for a Republican. And it's like, and even that, when that happens, it's like a rare case. And they actually did studies, you know, trying to find, you know, these so-called voter fraud cases, and they always come up with nothing. They never come up with any proof that it's actually happening. It's wild that the current president is trying to 
voter fraud when he won. Because of voter fraud. Wow. I mean, what disenfranchisement? Because, yeah. like you said, and Wisconsin, they, they took other governments. Yep, exactly. Yes, exactly. And he lost the popular vote. Yep. I always remember. Um, so yeah, uh, it's wild out here in these voting streets. desperate for people they they have power in all three branches of the government <laughs> and are you know steadily trying to de- delegitimize the press and yet that's not good enough for them they are power hungry and you know at this point power doing a lot of dirt so check your voter registration status you'd like to add no I'm just like it's just it, it's just it's just so infuriating just I mean the voting rights act has been gutted we no longer have that protection yeah. and they're just doing everything they can to take us way back before 1965 they really are it's not we're not imagining this we're not being paranoid it is happening I mean, this is just one thing. I mean, we already got kids in cages and families being separated and those kids being kidnapped and sold to families, to other families. And we are not imagining these things, y'all. And this is not normal. No. But this is America. Yep. was built on genocide and slavery and trafficking and and now that it's trying to go back to that um, people want to have this ahistorical view of America and say you know this is not my America yeah no this is what this country has always been Um, all right, so, yeah, let's, you know, I guess the whole, once again, once again, the U.S. legislature can catch the fade, basically.
Yes. <laughs> I have yeah. two episodes in a row for that. Bit. Alright. Let's let's try to cheer ourselves up. And what better to do than <laughs> with some pain. Oh yeah. It is time for DWIDP, y'all. And <laughs> this is an all be good place focused DWIDP because there's some fine men on that show. <laughs> First, we're gonna t- um, I'm gonna nominate uh, one Manny Jacinto, who was born in Manila and moved to Canada when he was three. He's also a dancer and has participated in lots of hip hop dance championships. Oh, um, or competitions. Um, and I like his character on good place because he's not a minority. He's actually a very dim bulb, (laughs) we will say. say. I'm trying not to, you know, be ableist, but he's not the sharpest tool in the shed. I don't know if that's okay, but, um, and he's also not out there trying to appropriate black cool like, um, other people. Aquafina. Um, <laughs> he's just he's just a sweet, if not altogether bright, character, uh, <laughs> who's just very funny, and has a jawline that will that could cut glass, basically. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. He's 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 gorgeous. And uh, <laughs> uh, I would also like to shout out his co coworker, um, his uh, um, uh, fellow Good Place actor, William Jackson Harper. We talked about him last episode, but uh, <laughs> that was before the latest uh, ep of The Good Place came out, where he ran through sprinklers and took off his sweater and <laughs> my man is cut he is surprisingly I so mean, chest like bow biceps like wow just <laughs> like oh I'm like okay I didn't know you had it going on like okay, that okay okay Ebony Adonis I'm here for it <laughs> no ethics Professor has a right to look that good, but he does, and I don't care if it's realistic. <laughs> Somebody actually had the nerve to write a piece called "Is uh, Cheaty from the Good Place Too Jacked?" I'm like, yes, but also too overwhelmingly, there's a such thing. Yeah, I mean, they're just saying that it's not in character with what ethics oh. Should probably look like. I don't care. Maybe he goes to the gym. This is an actor. If this professor can go to the gym too. I guess whatever. I don't care if it's in character. He looks good. <laughs> I enjoyed very much watching him without a shirt. Watching him put on a clingy, thin little T-shirt that showed off all of the muscles. <laughs> 
just enjoyed everything about uh, William Jackson Harper in this episode. Also, while he w- even while he was being Mr. Beefcake, he was also doing a hell of an acting job. He's like really good at what he does, in spite of being really good looking. <laughs> so, um, he, yeah, he turned in a really great performance, and I hope he gets a nomination for this show this year, because Loki, he is stealing this entire show. Um, <laughs> people talk about the white leads, but it's really the supporting cast, who are mainly people of color, who, um, that's the reason why I tune into this show, and particularly... William Jackson Harper and his character Cheedy they I it's it's the Cheedy show for me I just I watch it for <laughs> Cheedy he's great he also looks great and I I had to shout him out again uh, <laughs> that's just how good he twice in a row <laughs> yeah. I left you a little something left you a little link probably saw it. I hope you did. Oh. Yeah, I hope you saw this, because as soon as I saw it, I'm like, yeah, I would agree with this. I would definitely watch this. Oh, gosh, yes. (laughs) Wow. Just... Yeah. I just want to be in a Manny Jacinto William Jackson Harper sandwich. Please. That suit is that that suit and that hat. It's just doing all the work for me. Thank you. Mm. Mm. (laughs) Anyway, um, also shout out to the Peeps and the Chili Pot song. Um, I I love it so much. Chili pie and other M&M's. Put the peeps in the chili. Oh my god! It taste bad. So funny this episode. <laughs> oh god, it is so good. So, uh, uh, I've been annoyed by a whole bunch of TV shows this year. Westworld, Castle Rock, but the good place <laughs> still gives me joy in season three, and uh, it's mainly because of these two. So, okay, so now it is time for Womanist vocab. All right, so while you over there fanning yourself, I will <laughs> tell us a little bit about. Privatization. Privatization simply means to shift control of government and or publicly publicly owned entities to the private sector. Privatization occurs in many forms, including shifting responsibility of certain entities to the private sector, allowing the private sector to invest in one's public entities, including building, financing, and operating major infrastructure projects and outsourcing. Robert Poole is the first to use the term privatization to refer to the contracting out of public services. And what made you um, think of this word today? 
you know, it's just, I don't know, everything is just starting, I mean, it, everything is, the facade is just kind of, it's falling away a, a hell of a lot faster these days. I mean, we've got fucking net neutrality, it's pretty much gone, if, you know, that's gone, you know, you have, shit, you, you have, Yes, that. Yeah, still, for some reason, Flint doesn't have clean water when Nestle's, like, how many miles away, and they use, like, 36 point, like, 34.6 million liters of water per day in a place where people, private citizens, do not have clean water for four, more than four years now. You know, like, shit like that is just, yeah. And, of course, they're just trying to make, you know, everything. Like, oh, they're all, I don't know why they keep going after the post office. Right. Like, <laughs> like the post office isn't hurting. It never has been. Please stop telling that lie. You know, just, yeah. They, they just really are trying to just plunder everything. And. Yeah, they really are just trying to plunder everything that you know, that we need, that people should actually have access to and it should be a human right. And it's just, yeah, fuck that. Well said. And that's our show, folks. Uh, again, you can find Black Girl School on Twitter, Tumblr, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts help us um, get out there, spread, help more people find the show. Um, you can contact us at In This Corner for Inda. I'm at Bye.